Welcome to the iHealth Podcast, a podcast for you to relate to like-minded individuals discussing hot topics all related to rehab, fitness, and business. Brought to you by Iron Health from Westchester, New York. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the iHealth Podcast. Today we speak with Dr. Nick of the Human Performance Mechanic, and we get into some discussion on physical therapy and a few other topics. Let's jump into it. Nick, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come on the iHealth Podcast. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course, for an old old buddy. Yeah, yeah. We have a good history. We can dive into that too. It's, it's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> that um, is funny. Yeah. But let's let's start on you, man. Like I always like to start with like, tell me how you got into PT, um, where you are now, like how you got to where you are now. What was that that journey like? It was a long one. It was a very, very long one. Um, so I went to Franklin and Marshall College back in the day, uh, graduated in 2010. But, um, you know, I had what I considered a, a full college experience. So I was in a fraternity. I partied a lot. I was one of, <laughs> one of, one of, the, one of the captains of my baseball team and uh, really just had a, a very good college experience, but didn't really find anything that drove me that really like lit the fire and the passion for for what i wanted to do with my life um i knew biology was something that i i enjoyed um and fitness has always been something of uh of a mainstay in in my life ever since i was uh wrestling in in high school and um yeah so i graduated but i didn't really have the gpa that i needed to 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 get in order to to, to get into any sort of like graduate program or anything. I didn't even know I was going to actually do research, which was funny considering now I'm, I'm coming back to that uh, where I'm at right now, but it was cellular research, um, wow. so which is, which, yeah, it was definitely not what I wanted. No, definitely not what I see myself doing now. Um, and my mom literally just like it, when I was at home, I was basically a bum and I was, li- I was living at home and she's like, you need a job. And I was like, okay. And then she was like, all right, well, here's a Craigslist ad for, for an aid in a PT clinic in, in Coscob, Connecticut. And I was like, I've never heard of physical therapy to be honest. Cause I, I was only, I was only introduced to athletic trainers in, in college. And so I went and within six months I was like, oh man, this is like something that I really picture myself doing. I think physical therapists have a very nice role in, in the healthcare system and or they could have a nice role in the healthcare system, especially with being able to provide such good quality uh, care when you're in the right environment. And so I was fortunate to uh, be at perfor- uh, performance physical therapy uh, where I worked for almost two years and the staff, you were also there um, at, 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 at performance and that's where we kind of met at some point in my, my two years there. Yeah. And when I was there, I, I was like, all right, well, I need to get my grades up to go to PT school because uh, 292 is not getting you in anywhere. And nope. so I worked full time uh, as an aide and learned kind of the, the intricacies of, of clinic uh, how a clinic runs, how, what are the, what are the nuances of that dealing with patients, uh, and also dealing with some clients, personal training. And then I, um, took classes at night for almost two years and wow. got my grade, got my grades up and noticed along the way that physical therapists could play a good role in, in, in primary prevention, just being, meaning that, you know, once you're, 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 we're dealing with them on an injury level. So they come to us and they have some problem and usually, for the vast majority of people, that's pain. And what we can do as physical therapists is help get them back to, you know, what their, what their definition of optimal performance is. But I think there was a missing link between the training as a physical therapist and being able to promote good, healthy behaviors. Um, in that we need to strategize not only to, we have the knowledge and the training to be able to get people back to the activities they love as quickly as possible, which is, you know, the mantra that I, that I currently am espousing as the BFR pros and, and with blood flow restriction, but to go even further than that, to understand the psychology behind people, why they make the decisions, the health, the health behavior decisions that they make and, and try to circumvent that for, for the positive. Cause we have an obesity uh, we have an obesity crisis in, in, in the United States and we need to get people active and keep them active as much as possible, which again, feeds back into why I've fallen in love with blood flow restriction. But, 
Um, yeah. So I decided I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to still need to, to get my GPA up and become a more marketable candidate. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I went to American university, got a graduate assistantship, ran a gym or helped help oversee employees. So I, I understood that part of the business and interned, interned for a year with a strength and conditioning coach and, uh, then applied for PT school, went to Columbia and just, uh, graduated with honors. And along the way, my tail end of Columbia, I, um, uh, or tail end or early uh, middle of Columbia, uh, found blood flow restriction. And uh, blood flow restriction is is basically for the layperson is that you can, when you're injured or even when you're not injured, you can use this. It's a cuff, like a blood pressure cuff that you apply to the arm or the leg that when you inflate it to a specifically uh, individualized pressure that you can exercise with lighter weights and gain similar benefits as lifting heavy. And that has a lot of, of, of potential for the rehab populations, whereby if you're injured, you're not able to lift heavy Well, lifting light in, in the vast majority of, of, of research, when you're doing such low, low, low training and, and with not really exerting ourselves, um, which is a problem in, in PT practice in general, my observations is a lot of physical therapists are afraid to get their patients uncomfortable, get them pushing into that, that period of time where we're really pushing the boundaries. Well, blood flow restriction now can, can, can make light loads effective and get people back to activities that they love quicker than, than what they've been doing before. And so I was, I was very fortunate to, to get into blood flow restriction at, uh, you know, in 2015 ish, 2016, about four, four and a half years. And, uh, and I really love it. I'm very blessed. I love what I'm doing. I started the BFR pros about two, uh, two years ago, year and a half, two years ago, uh, where we're, we're, we now have international partners, uh, where I get to go and I, I literally get to fly across the world, um, and teach other practitioners how to perform this very, uh, special evidence-based modality. And, uh, I'm not selling any products. I literally am just selling the education. I want people to, to, to understand how to apply it and how it can continue to help more people get back to activities that they love as quickly as possible. And, and really just change lives. Um, mm. cause that's what I've seen before the power, uh, the power of BFR is, is, is amazing. And we're just learning how to tap into that potential, but we need to do it safely. Um, it's not something that you can just reckless, recklessly haphazardly apply. Uh, and so that's where this, this concept of creating an online course came about. And so that's kind of where we're at literally right now. <laughs> Very cool. So, so yeah. So I yeah, I have a couple of questions kind of, we're going to backtrack a little bit and then we'll circle back to BFR, obviously. So when you, you were saying like you were living kind of in your house and you were that bum uh, person, what was your mindset shift that said, you know what, it's time for me to get off my ass and start kind of doing something? You know, um, it, it really just came down to, I finally found something that, that gave me purpose, gave me a, 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 a more just allow me to be more driven and, and, and goal oriented. I'm a very goal oriented person. I mean, I've competed in, in, in what, what would colloquially call like beach body competitions, you know, so, so pushing your body to the limits physically, uh, but emotionally and mentally to be able to, to have to go back to school after you just graduated, take post back courses in order to now take more school. Um, it really took a lot of drive and determination and certainty to say, hey, you know, I need to be here. I want to be here. And how am I going to get there? Well, it's going to be hard work and determination and consistency. And that's the biggest lesson that I can espouse to anybody is if you have a dream and you have a goal, it, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. If you really want to get there, you really just got to make it happen. And I've sacrificed so many times going out. I've sacrificed a lot in order to get to where I'm at right now. And now that I'm almost at the precipice of releasing basically what's what amounts to, you know, my impact on the world, which is this course that can be taken by basically anybody that has an interest in, in health and fitness. It's like I'm leaving my impact and leaving my mark after quite literally 10 years of, mm -hmm. of getting to to where I, I'm at right now. Um, so it's just consistency and it's finding some sort of, of goal along the way. So for example, for me, it was like, all right, well, I knew that I wanted to be a physical therapist. Well, what's the first thing I have to do? Well, I have to get A's in my, in my prerequisite courses. All right. Well, that's my short-term goal, all right? So boom, hit that up. Now what's the next thing? All right. My GPA now is above a three Oh three one right now. Okay. Well, is that going to be competitive? Is it going to get me into, oh, no, it's not. Okay. Well, I'm going to get a master's degree. That was the next short-term goal. 
what can I do when I'm at a master's degree that's going to help add to my resume and my CV to, again, just make me more marketable? Well, in turn with a strength and conditioning coach. Why? Because I want to work with, with the top athletes and I want to be able to provide my services for them. So what do I need? I need experience. I can't just say, oh, I'm going to do that and then not... Um, you know, and then not, not act on it. So I was able to do that uh, and squeeze it in. And then the next goal, all right, well, now I got to get into PT school. All right, got into PT school. Now what's the next goal? Well, I want to get some experience in, in working. So then I, I reached out to some of the, the people in the industry that, uh, that I admire, that I follow their work. And, you know, Brent Brookbush was one of them. And he, he brought me on after I shadowed him in his practice as a student, he brought me on as a writer. So what did I do? Making a little bit more money, adding to the credentials, networking, doing all the things. Now I, I, I wrote, I think, 37 articles for his website. So I made some money, learned to evaluate research. That kind of hit, hit my, my uh, pain point for just trying to get you know, development. And then after I graduated there, all right, well, what do I want to do? Well, I wanted to get some real world experience. But then after that, I, I was figuring, you know what? I, I, can, I fear I can do it better. I can do this model better. So six months, seven months out of, of graduating PT school, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go and start my own thing. And that's literally what I did. And I've been mm -hmm. treating, treating patients and clients myself for now two and a half plus years. And uh, then and it goes on. It just keeps on going, keeps on building. And then uh, BFR, what can I do to make myself better? What can I do to help promote a better message? All right. Well, does that mean that I need to publish research? All right. Boom. Done. Make that make that a priority because everyone is getting into blood flow restriction. So now I have to make sure that I'm differentiating myself even further. And it's just fun to be able to go and, and do what you love to do. And now yeah. when you're here, it's like, I mean, I, I can't even tell you, I get paid to go and speak in front of a room of people that are genuinely interested in wanting to learn what I believe can help change the world and change rehab. Because it, it, rehab in general is just is, is not good. Um, and I think this is a tool that when we use appropriately can really change the way we do things. And that's what drives me. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's being able to make an impact. And I've been very fortunate to have relationships with people like you, Brent, um, you know, Giorgio, like all these other people that I've met along the way um, that are also leaders in in their, you know, their respective fields of, of, of physical therapy, owning clinics, doing a better, creating a better model. And, and so everyone benefits the provider benefits the patient. So it's all, it's literally a circle. It's a, it's, it's just, I feel like I'm coming full circle after 10 years. And I feel like my career at this point is just getting started, mm -hmm. um, which is even more exciting as BFR continues to grow. I feel like there's so much more that I can do to help just impact lives and, and, and do what I love. Like, again, I, I wake up every morning and I, and I don't ever regret going to work. I don't, I don't like, Oh man, you know, I have people that are paying good money to go and spend time with me to achieve their goals. And I get paid to be able to like, we get paid to be able to do that. Like, yeah. think about that. Like, like we're literally, we're not, we're not doing hard manual labor, right? We're not, we're not like like crushing our bodies. We get to help people achieve their goals using our own expertise. I mean, again, you wake yourself up and you're like, wow, mm -hmm. like that's amazing. Yeah. And just again, for you, you owning multiple clinics, you get to, you know, I remember, I remember when we were talking and you were saying the same thing that you, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to, you wanted to get that, that started. That was something that you really wanted to do. And now you're doing it. And it's, you know, everything comes with headaches, but yeah. you know, it, 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 it's always, it's like, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, you said it really well there. And I think that's the foundations of a true growth mindset. Like you've always set a goal for yourself. You get excited, you go through adversity and you grow. I mean, that has so much value in it for, you know, anyone listening right now, like just take that and like your whole life can change just from that little lesson. You know what and I mean? And it's just, it, 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 I think, I think that a, a problem that a lot of people have is they're, they're just not, they just don't want to put themselves out there and they don't want, they don't, they don't want to deal with or, or deal with the, the sting of rejection or the sting of, of, of not, you know, not missing a mark. Right. But, but at the end of the day, we've all been there. Like I've, I failed, you know, I've, I, I failed along the way. 
but what do you do when you when you have that failure you reassess you regroup and you know and you move on i mean again i, I can talk about the failures that that have led me to where i'm at right now i mean the bfr pros started out with three co-founders and now it's just me and the company you know so you 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 kind of understand and you can go go through those growth hurdles well it's me and my dad actually my dad is the operations manager oh, nice. um but uh so it's also pretty cool that i'm able to work uh, very closely with my dad and he's the marketing guy. I'm the science guy. And so we're able to craft an unbelievable message that will resonate with people because that's a lot of the things too. It's like, you can have the best content. If you don't position it in such a way that is digestible and people are able to then look at it and, and feel something like feel like, Oh man, that speaks to me. You're going to fail. And that's why I'm so excited about what's going on in, in this course is that we've crafted such a narrative that will resonate with everyone watching. And it's, and, and it's, it's just, it's just exciting. You're almost like you're, you're going to give a gift to society Yeah. <coughs> and, and yeah. That's awesome, man. So before we dive like more into BFR, how has your treatment philosophy changed from like your start of kind of just being out there to where you are now and what led you down that route? Uh, it's a great question. I actually got into physical therapy for manual therapy. Um, actually, um, and, and that was something that I thought, oh man, I could, I really, really, really want to do manual therapy because that's how I'm going to make a significant impact. And I've actually completely flipped my thought process. Um, I rarely do manual therapy if at all right now. Um, me, I'm more along the lines of, I want to get people up and moving as quick as possible. Now, does that, does that say that I don't do manual therapy? Absolutely not. But that, but that means that if I'm going to choose an active, meaning exercise or a passive approach, I'm most likely going to choose an, an active approach if, if I feel like the active approach will give me better return on investment. Um, because we know that with the research that in increasing uh, self-efficacy is super, super, super important for, for our patients. And so I've gravitated more toward uh, McKenzie, McKenzie uh, diagnosis and treatment because this allows me as a cash-based out-of-network practitioner to get rapid results um, and rapid results without having to touch the patient. Um, and especially right now with telehealth, I can treat 90% of the individuals that I could see in person. Uh, I could treat 90% of them just by guiding them through exercise and movement. And so that allows me to scale my practice as well. And then McKenzie feeds into blood flow restriction because once we can, we can get rapid results, then we can kind of uh, exercise, but load might be a problem. And that's where the BFR kind of fits in. Mm -hmm. So I don't really, I think, I think I've, I overvalued the, or overemphasized the importance of manual therapy and minimized the, the, the importance of increasing self-efficacy and its importance in overall sustaining a healthy lifestyle. Like I've heard time and time again, you know, uh, and I specialize in low backs. I mean, low back, low back is basically my, my wheelhouse, um, and, and neck. I mean, those are the two that, that and those, but by the way, as a student were my two dreaded evals, <laughs> oh, neck pain, back pain. Oh, I get excited. I'm like, you come, come see me, see me, see me. Let's go because yeah. I've helped. So I've helped people already in my two and a half year career. And really it's a year and, and you know, almost two years of McKenzie that people have gone through surgery, have gone through rehab, everything. And what does it take? It just takes a detailed systematic approach that involves movement. And again, it's movement. Mm. It's movement is the medicine, not, totally. not, not anything I do with my hands. Yeah. My hands can help. But, you know, can you do it yourself? Okay, if you knew yourself, let's, let's try. And that ultimately gets them on the path towards self-advocacy. And education is a huge part of my, my rehab. I want people to come to me and leave. Like, I can be a personal trainer. Like, I've had so many of my clients basically like, yeah, I could take a personal training test right now. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can do that because I understand how exercise works, uh, at least what, how we think exercise works. And understand what hypertrophy is. What are the variables that we need to, to to maximize hypertrophy? And I pride myself on education because I think that that's a missing link in any sort of healthcare industry is the lack of um, what I like to call like transparency. Basically, it's like we're holding this information like it's secret. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't want somebody coming to me and saying, "Yeah, I was I was at my provider, and you know, I was doing, you know, all right, I'm seeing a back pain, back pain client, for example." 
All right. So what have you been doing for it? Oh yeah. You know, I've been going to the chiropractor three times a week. Uh, how long, uh, uh, you know, how long have you been doing that for? Oh, the last like 11 months. Like I've heard that. And so, so clearly it's not working. Like yeah. whatever you're doing is, is not working. My goal is so is such that if you see me again, it better not be for the same problem. Mm. It better not be. If it, if it is for the same problem, I failed as a, as, as a provider, because that means that my education was not sufficient for them to understand what's going on. And I failed at that too. I've seen people for the same, same time for, for, you know, a couple of different issues, but uh, more times than not, people come back with different issues. And that's what, that's what, that's what makes me happy. Um, not that they're back and seeing me, but yeah. that they're not coming back to me for the same issue and they understand and they have that self-efficacy and that's just built into the model of BFR. I mean, again, mm -hmm. what are you trying to do? You're trying to build self-efficacy. I can do this. I can get through this very strenuous, uh, workout and I could become better. And I ended up on the other side. And now all of a sudden I'm dealing with, I'm able to challenge the patients or clients, uh, cause I do both. Um, in, in a way that we weren't able to do before. And again, oh, I've had people that come, I've never felt this way, you know, knee pain, for example, I've never felt this way in 15, 20 years. And now I can feel my quads going again. And you just, again, you just give people hope. And that's really, really, really important. Totally. That's awesome. Who's your ideal client for BFR? Someone walks into you, you know, who's, who's that ace in the hole that you're like, I'm going to fix them right away. There's, there's three, there's three different clients, uh, really that are ace in the holes. Number one is knee osteoarthritis. Um, that is by far the, the biggest home run. Um, because with NeoA, a, a lot of the times the research has shown that quadricep strength is a really important predictor of how symptomatic they are. And, um, regardless of, of radiographs and, when you're not able to load the joint, you're you're going to atrophy. You're not going to you're not going to be able to 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 keep that strength. And on top of that, what does the research say that we need to do? We need to strength train moderate to heavy loads. The problem is when you're working with individuals, and I don't know, you probably seen, uh, you probably can relate, but they're like, oh, am I going to feel this for the next two days? I'm not going to be able to walk the next mm -hmm. day because of all the, all my knee pain. And so you get over that hurdle. Because now, on top of not having to feel that 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 pain and discomfort the day after, so you can be a little bit better two or three days later, with BFR, you're not even experiencing knee pain during the exercise because you're not loading the joint. So besides just lifting heavy, you're now lifting lighter, exposing the quadriceps to the 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 environment required at light loads to be able to stimulate hypertrophy and strength, and then you're able to put on size without having to load the joint. So that's a huge, huge, huge home run population there. And the research uh, also suggests that, that this is uh, that way as well. Any knee related pathology tends to be, tends to be a, a home run uh, for BFR, whether that's ACL reconstruction, uh, whether that's patellofemoral pain. Um, those are, and again, patellofemoral pain is a basket diagnosis. Just, yeah. just anything related to knee pain from potential overuse or uh, lack of strength uh, is, is, is a home run. And then this, and then, then you go to post-operative. Um, although, you know, the, the, when I, when I educate and I teach, we don't have really any post-operative guidelines, but, um, what you're going to find is more and more physicians at major, major, major hospitals are coming down and requiring their patients to perform BFR throughout their, their rehab at, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at some point, um, more aggressive physicians are coming out saying you need to do BFR earlier, which is beneficial, uh, to, to stave off disuse atrophy and the negative effects, uh, which extend not only to the muscle, but also to tendon bone and the cardiovascular microvascular system. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I talk about this in the courses. It's not just muscle atrophies. That's just a symptom of everything that's going on in the body. That's bad. Um, so post-operative, uh, we're getting some pretty good results, um, equivocal to high load, uh, for, 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 for that, which is great, uh, cause heavy loads tend to have more pain during exercise. Uh, more of the uh, just the, the perceptual increases that might eh, decrease adherence uh, over time. And then, um, but the problem is with post-op is the no-set guidelines. So really it, it, it's, it's important that you are collaborating with your referral sources, which is what we talk about in the course uh, as well. It's like, because I can't tell you when you should do, you know, BFR. You should do BFR as early as you possibly can uh, mm -hmm. in your ACLs, for example, because those tend to be younger demographics, more active. Um, it might be a little bit more challenging for somebody that's post-op 
uh, for, <clears throat> for like a knee arthroplasty or a knee replacement, because those tend to be a little bit more deconditioned overall, um, have a little bit more medical comorbidities. So things you might want to be a little more careful, not to mention the scar is much, 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 or the incision is much, much, much bigger. Um, so when you're creating this, this effect, this, this self swelling effect, you don't want to do, you don't want to risk dehiscence or the, the, the removal of, or the, the separation of the, the skin flaps. Hmm. Um, so those are all things that you have to consider. Um, and that's why it's important to collaborate with, with a physician and, and get that physician or whatever, whoever your referral source is on board. And then sure. the last is the elderly. I mean, again, you, 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 once you screen out and you understand, uh, the, the responses to exercise, uh, and, and what the potential differences are, uh, in these demographics, then you're able to better program. Again, we can't really challenge our elderly with heavier weights the majority of the time, but adding BFR alone could help increase their muscle fiber recruitment and allow them to, to experience more hypertrophy and increases in strength than they otherwise wouldn't have. And that, that even could literally be getting them on a walking program with BFR, especially if they're deconditioned. Mm. Um, and so it's really exciting to be able to, to integrate this, this, this modality into, into plans of care. Cause it really does have the potential to change lives. It's just, we need to do it in a smart systematic way. Um, and that's, you know, what, what, you know, I've been, I've been espousing in, in my courses is, is you can't just try to put something on cause it's, it's, you know, you need to, you need to do the appropriate screening. You need to do the appropriate subjective exam, uh, because it's really important to understand where would I start somebody off on BFR? Well, I already know that the vast majority of people, I probably wouldn't start off on uh, immediately going to like, for example, a bilateral squat and BFR. Probably not because that's going to be the most demanding uh, to the system. And if that person, for example, has never exercised before, I might want to start them off at a, at, a, at, a, at a less demanding application, whether that's just having the cuff pumped up in general and then having it relax so, so they can feel the, the, the pump or having them on a walking program. You know, like it's, it's, it's understanding the responses to exercise and then what that subjective feeling or the subjective history of the, of the client is along with the medical history to be able to come up with a starting ground. And that's kind of what we talk about, uh, or what I talk about in, in, in any of the, the courses that I, that I teach. So. Very cool. And, and I think I, we can circle back around to uh, the NEOA cause I have, I think that'd be a good, um, thing to discuss with like people that are listening to the podcast as well. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask, have you seen any research studies on osteoporosis and BFR? So there have been, um, to my recollection, at least one or two studies with osteoporosis. We know that, um, that there's something called the interstitial fluid flow hypothesis that basically just means that when we are contracting our muscles or we're creating this occlusion stimulus, right? We have this change in this fluid shift that happens and inside of the bone. And when that fluid shift happens inside of the bone, we have these specialized cells that pick up that, that stress and actually signal for positive bone growth, um, in, in that region. So, um, that, that is actually, we've had a systematic review, uh, by Batar in 2018 that actually took four different studies that showed positive bone marker form formation. So, Prior to last year, which is the first time we actually had experimental evidence to show that BFR actually can attenuate or even increase bone mineral density, that was in ACL uh, reconstruction. Uh, Lambert actually published his results ahead of full completion because they were just so good. Um, we've, we, we, we have marker bone marker formation, meaning positive benefits to the bone. That was just the first time it actually was, was shown to, to be beneficial. We have evidence on resistance training in osteoporotic women. I can't remember the actual study called, but, uh, what was called, but I have it on my Instagram, uh, where it was beneficial, uh, and, and at least equal to high intensity training. Um, but again, our goal should be we should be able to try to facilitate heavy lifting as much as possible with our patients. And, and if that's not possible for whatever reason, then BFR is looking to be a, an alternative solution that can give us equivocal or near equivocal results without having the safety hazards of, you know, the heavier lifting. Cause mm -hmm. we know that we need heavier lifting for, for bone, you know, bone formation and bone remodeling. Uh, but what BFR is doing right now is challenging our understanding of what the actual intensity uh, that we actually need in order to be able to get those physiological adaptations. 
Um, so it's pretty cool, but yeah, I mean, I would, I I've done it in osteoporotic, uh, and in women with osteoporosis and osteopenia. Um, but haven't done it long enough for, for them to go get a, like a CAT scan pre and post, um, to understand the differences, but it definitely is something that you can use if you have a client or a patient that might be hesitant about getting, you know, lifting heavier, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, but we should not be afraid of lifting heavy, uh, because, it, you know, unless you have a cult fracture, you know, you're always going to have an, a risk of an occult fracture when you have such low bone mineral density. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, again, like that, the evidence kind of says that, that even heavy lifting in, in these populations can be, uh, well tolerated. We just got to be smart about what we're trying to do. Are we trying yeah. to have them snatch or are we trying to have them do leg extensions? You know, like, like, like you know, that's, <laughs> That's, that's like my counter argument there. And that's another thing that's super important. And I'm glad that a lot of the, the BFR researchers and a lot of the people that are out there also educating on BFR that aren't me are doing is saying, listen, we need to get our patients to heavier lifting. It's mm -hmm. really, really, really important to not be afraid of getting under a bar or grabbing that heavy kettlebell. Because at the end of the day, if, if, if I have a grandma that needs to pick up her 50 year old, 50 year old. Wow, that's a, that's an old grandkid. Um, <laughs> Fifty pound grand grandkid. They need to be able to be comfortable with lifting fifty pounds. Like that, what you what you end up getting is you you, you injury happens when your tissue is is accustomed to it's a certain level of 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 tension, tissue tolerance, whatever you want to call it. And then if our capacity is automatically exceeded by the load, well, now you have an injury. Mm -hmm. Right. So our job in rehab should be to increase the capacity of our tissues. And how do we do that? We need to expose the tissues to higher, you know, higher loads. Very true. So, that's, that's well yeah. said. I, I think I, if we circle back around to the, the NEOA patient, so like a lot of my clients and a lot of people that come here is, you know, that um, mild to moderate NEOA starting to develop pain with stairs what would a BFR kind of program look like for them? How would you start them? How would you screen them? What would that whole process look like? Yeah, I mean, I think the first the first thing in in any of this is understanding what what the client patient's goals are, right? What what is their ultimate end game? Because if you have somebody with NEOA that just wants to be able to pick up their grandkid, for example, versus somebody that wants to return to softball, right? Those are two separate two separate potential patterns or a uh, potential roads that you would travel upon in order to get them to their goal. Um, and then you have to do a medical screening. I mean, I think it's really important. You know, we teach in the courses, first of all, you have to protect yourself, protect your license. If you're a practitioner, um, we live in a very litigious society. So even at the end of the day, if we're trying to, to create positive change in our patients and BFR is, is safe, um, is safe, especially when you, you screen appropriately and you take appropriate modifications to the exercise, you still got to protect yourself. So everyone, ha you know, everyone needs to sign a waiver and release of risk and liability. Um, because it's just, it's just the society we live in, unfortunately. Um, yeah. and, and then you do a medical screening. So there's certain conditions that would be what we call a red light for BFR, meaning you really shouldn't be doing BFR with them. And if you think about it, these are the conditions that are likely going to be like very systemic. So they either have a clotting disorder, so they're not able to clot properly or they're, they're, they're prone to clotting. Not good. If they have already a previous or a prior history of blood clots, just because that's one of the things that got picked up early, um, in the, in the research base, but a lot of the research that, sh that that's out there right now suggests that BFR actually promotes anti-clotting, uh, benefits, mm -hmm. uh, through, through other, you know, growth, growth factors, um, and antigens, uh, that basically are released when the blood comes back into that area. Uh, so similar to high intensity training, um, and then also does not promote clotting. So there's, there's, there's promotion of anti-clotting factors and there's also promotion of clotting. BFR does not promote clotting. It promotes anti-clotting. So there's, there's a two different variables there. Um, and then systemic diseases, right? Like, um, anybody that has significant, significant hypertension, anybody that has uh, significant diabetes where they're having a uh, loss of peripheral, uh, sensation where they can't really tell you what's going on. Um, anybody that has, uh, any sort of major complications in their artery or veins, because if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at what BFR does, 
we're purposefully restricting for a short period of time blood flow to the arm or the leg. And in doing so, we're stressing not only the, the muscles, but remember, we're still changing tendon uh, as well, which is what we're learning, um, especially with longer term protocols, which was really uh, it, uh, blew my mind, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. But we're, we're changing tissues and we're challenging tissue adaptation. Uh, so arteries, veins, those are all things that we need to consider. So if there's any venous disease, any arterial disease, um, that like sickle cell, for example, like anemia, like you already have a dec decreased oxygen carrying capacity, you're probably not going to want to do BFR, um, just common sense. Uh, and then, so really the red, the red lights in my mind are like, if you understand what you're doing with the BFR cuff on, you're probably going to come to your own, your own contraindications on that. It's the yellow lights, the precautions that tend to be a little bit more vague, uh, and, and require a lot more clinical judgment. Like you can have a diabetic patient that's overweight. Um, and you know, that, that you feel could benefit from BFR, but at the same time you need to know, all right, well, well, BFR is not necessarily contraindicated there, but you understand that with these conditions, there's a heightened response to exercise, uh, meaning the heightened blood pressure and heart rate response, because these tend to be more what we call sympathetically driven, meaning our nervous system and, and our body is always on like protection phase versus the rest and relaxation phase, which is like the parasympathetic nervous system that allows our body to really respond uh, normal, what we call quote unquote normally to exercise. So the more and more comorbidities, the more and more yellow flags that exist, the more and more I'm less likely to, to perform BFR with that person. The other major red uh, yellow flag is um, varicose veins, so spider veins, um, especially as you get older in the elderly population that tend to exist in individuals with NeoA, for example. Um, varicosities are these like cord-like blue or purple veins that are superficial on the skin. They could also be very cord-like and like very um, noticeable, tend to be uh, on the calf more than anything. And, um, and again, this is clinician judgment. Um, this is something where it, it, I've done in my own clinical practice at least three times now where I've had significant varicosities with my clients or patients, but the medical risk uh, was less than the benefit of getting BFR and increasing their muscle mass and strength. Mm. These are individuals that are, are literally contraindicated to lift heavy. They have degenerative conditions whereby we're trying to stave off as much atrophy as possible. And so the alternative for these clients is typically a wheelchair. So you're, you're looking at weighing the risk versus the, the, the benefits. And that's really important to, to keep that in mind. Um, and so I wish I could come and say, you know, these people are absolutely, you know, not, I can, I can say these people are absolutely not able to do BFR, but for the yellow, yellow flags, those conditions that are like, Hey, you have a little bit of comorbidities, um, a little bit of things that are going on. I can't really say when's the cutoff. Cause it ultimately comes down to how comfortable you are with understanding what happens with these sort of precautions. And mm -hmm. that's what I take in that's what I, that's what I, 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 I mentioned in, you know, the courses that I teach is like, listen, like people don't understand. And I personally did not understand the magnitude of what hypertension does to your body. You know, we all say break, you know, we, we take the hyper, we, we take hypertension for granted and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like this or like whatever. But in reality, it's a systemic disease. Um, that's becoming more and more and more common. And that an understanding what the potential is for changes in your body's response to exercise from that is really important to understand what that actually means uh, in, in layman's terms, but also in, in the deep physiological terms of what, what, what we need to look out for with, with these individuals. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I wish I could come with a more clear, clear answer. And that's why it's, mm. it's ultimately important to get trained in doing this because you could have, I mean, again, people say, oh, BFR, for example, doesn't cause any muscle damage, which in the grand scheme of things is mostly true, except for the first couple periods of time where you're using it, where you're now stressing your system to a significant degree. And that's also the chance, the likelihood that you're going to have an adverse event is going to be in the first couple of times. So what do you need to do? You need to have a systemic progressive approach, systematic progressive approach in order to integrate BFR into someone's plan of care. So mm -hmm. all these th things get, get, are, are emphasized 
to, to make sure that people understand that. Cause as, as it continues to grow, people are going to try to do things like wrap their arms with, with knee wraps and try to and do BFR, <laughs> right? I'm not going to lie to you that it's, it's effective. It is effective, right? Yeah. We have evidence to suggest it is, but we're better than that as, as providers, we are better than that. And our patients or clients deserve better. And luckily mm -hmm. for us, there's technology that's out there that's becoming cheaper and cheaper for us that will allow us to be able to do that confidently. So nice. So let's say someone has um, factors that check off and we're like, let's take them to the next step. Basic knee OA, what, what can a, a treatment protocol look like? Where, where do you start them? And then where do you see bringing them for that maximal load? Yeah. So initially I would, I would start them off most likely with cardiovascular exercise, um, especially if they're on the deconditioned side, only because I understand the responses to cardiovascular exercise. And there's a likelihood that what we're doing with cardiovascular exercise can actually improve the muscle strength and muscle hypertrophy of that client. Um, but mostly, uh, again, this is where we, we have to weigh their exercise history and their beliefs about exercise to understand where we would actually put them in. You know, I categorized the BFR as, as, as having four different pillars. Um, and they progress in intensity as you go on. Pillar one is like that passive self-swelling application where basically you just pump up the cuff and you relax it, pump up the cuff and then relax it. Those tend to be for very acute situations. Um, people that, you know, if I had an OA, uh, an individual with OA who's very hesitant about using BFR, that's might where I might start them. Um, only because I want them to get used to that feeling before they start to actively contract their muscles. Mm -hmm. And then the second pillar for me is BFR aerobic training. So that would be walking or cycling. Um, that's the vast majority of, of if I'm going to start BFR with somebody, that's where I'm going to start them most likely is on a walking program um, to get them comfortable with a little bit of activation of, of the muscles, a little bit of weight bearing, uh, which is specific to, especially if somebody's having trouble with walking for longer, I want to get them, you know, get them some fatigue uh, with that. And uh, muscle growth, uh, and then progress them. We can always talk about periodization and whatever. But say then they're good with walking. Well, then I have one of two different ways that I can go. It's either I can progress them to cycling, which tends to be a lot more demanding, and I can scale the intensity a lot easier with mm -hmm. cycling than I can with walking. So we uh, get them on the cycle, uh, and that's more range of motion. That's more demand, more fatigue. Uh, but we know with cycling and, and that that it's really not, you're not really going to create a significant amount of muscle damage because the muscle activation is pretty low. So I'm not worried as much about the next, the day after, two days after from getting DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. But you know, it's, it's again, it's beneficial because I can improve not only their muscle mass and strength, but also their cardiovascular capacity, which people have, they're like, Oh, how can I improve my cardiovascular capacity if I'm working at such a low intensity? And that's, that's because we can manipulate the peripheral, the physiology of, of the arms and the legs uh, with these cuffs on to create a situation where we're able to better extract oxygen from, uh, from, the, from the blood delivery through you know, increases in mitochondrial function, which is the powerhouse of the cell that can create that energy, or through increases in capillary uh, formation. These are all things that we can utilize to help improve our cardiovascular capacity despite the low intensity. And then if that if that's not something that I feel would be worthwhile to them, um, which I think vast majority of people could do cycling, I would I would also add low low blood flow restriction uh, with resistance training. That's pillar three. But I would start out with very lightweight because um, again, it's that initial acclimation period, and I'm actually in the process right now of writing a, a, another paper mm -hmm. that we're talking about some of the some of the 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 breaks or the disconnects between research and practice with BFR because a lot of people just come in and they're like, all right, we're going to exercise these people to failure, you know, start off. Why? Because, you know, that's important to know from a research perspective, or we're going to do this protocol for this amount of time. And that's only the only protocol we're going to do, but that doesn't necessarily happen in, in practice. Yeah. So, um, so there's a scaling up component. So I'd rather underdose in the initial period of time for resistance training, because that's usually when the initial, when, when any sort of bad, adverse events would happen is in that first, you know, two, two weeks or so, or so of BFR. And then once, once they get past that period of time, then I really challenge them. Um, then it could be, you know, things like, uh, we start out, for example, with just isometrics or short arc quads, uh, short range of motion, extending your leg, uh, in on the table, for example, uh, get them comfortable with that, get them feeling some of that discomfort that exercise induced, 
um, pain uh, from BFR because it's not pleasant. I mean, again, mm -hmm. you, you have to you have to work. You have to be uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with BFR, and that's an important important mes message that I make sure that we all should be communicating to our clients uh, or patients with. And then that can go to seated leg extension. That can then go to some standing exercises, some weight bearing, um, and they can kind of just go from there. Again, it's basically just understanding there are some unique ways in which BFR can can uh, intensify an exercise. So, for example, like um, I would actually do the reverse for straight leg raise. So, if I have a post-operative um, ACL, for example. Um, I might start their straight leg raise elevated 60 degrees and only have them go 30 to, you know, 20, 30 degrees, uh, because it's so stressful because the, the, the hip flexors and the trunk have to work really hard to elevate that leg because you're mm -hmm. restricting all the, the, the hip flexors that are distal to the cuff. And then I'll work them down into the stretch position. The same thing as calf raises. Like if you immediately go to a calf raise off a step, you're not only adding hypoxia and mechanical tension, you're adding hypoxia and mechanical tension and now additional stretch, which can really, really, really uh, be a significant uh, potential to increase delayed onset muscle soreness. So you want to just gradually acclimate the client too. But once they're acclimated, I mean, I've had clients that come in and I've, I put them in the ground. And I say that like, <laughs> seriously, like they're leaving, they're barely able to walk the next day, fine. Yeah. Because you're using low loads and you're really just creating a very strong fatigue response that can augment our, our muscle fibers to, to get them to recruit earlier than what they would normally be able to do without the cuffs on. So it's really nice and, and awesome that you can create that, that massive fatigue response in in your clients and patients and get them results. And, and yeah. really <clears throat> it's super cool because now you can put on muscle mass faster than what you would be able to do with heavy load training. Uh, in, in, if we're, if we're specifically relating it to time, um, if you relate it to overall sessions, believe it or not, heavy load training tends to be superior. Um, because you, you don't have to train as much uh, in order to be able to, to do that. But if you actually are trying to do like a short block of BFR, while it's extremely, extremely stressful, you can definitely do it. Um, it just takes a certain, you know, a certain client that I would, I would say, okay, you're, you want to put on, you know, you want to put on five to 7% of your muscle size in, you know, 15, 16 days. All right, we can do that. But you need to meet these certain, you know, criteria and because mm. it's, it's very stressful to the muscle fiber itself. Uh, to be able to go under high frequency protocols like that, but it can be done, and it's been shown in the research. Um, so, do you take that to so say someone who's um, you know post rehab? Do you make BFR part of their regular periodization, or you wouldn't do that as much? You you could. I mean, I've so I one of the papers that I just uh, we, we, the best feeling ever is when you start to see other narrative the narrative that you're kind of been seeing by reading research and seeing these trends and then having it echoed in other research papers. Um, and so I was reading just a recent uh, paper that was that was uh, looking at some of the the microcellular microcellular uh, myofibrillar, basically the, the smallest portion of the muscle itself, looking at the adaptations there and with BFR compared to, to no BFR. And the paper that I wrote uh, in, in Strength and Conditioning Journal in April was about the, the the potential for physique athletes. So you can you can really group physique athletes and normal people together. I mean, really, like physique athletes are just taking it to the next level. But the same principles apply. That was a way that I can kind of integrate my thoughts about about rehab and performance into one paper. So yes, you can because what BFR does it has the potential to preferentially induce type one muscle fiber hypertrophy. Um, that's a very unique thing that might be protocol dependent, uh, although there are studies that have shown with that, that are less high frequency protocols that have shown um, that have shown this as well. But generally speaking, when you're working out and you're post rehab and you want to maximize your hypertrophy, what you really want to do is you want to take the same volume that you're using. So for example, like you have 10 sets, right? And I'm just saying arbitrarily, you, you say normally you do 10 sets, you do 10 heavy sets, right? Well, what if you took those same 10 sets, but then you did, you know, six heavy sets and then you did four heavy sets, four, not heavy sets, four light load BFR, 
uh, in replacement of that. So you're keeping the same relative amount of volume or slightly more um, volume, but not much. Cause remember, you're still stressing the muscle cell. The cell still needs to recover. Mm -hmm. And then doing that, you're now able to, what, what I like to think of is like full spectrum hypertrophy, um, where you're, you're now able to hypertrophy the type two fibers, which you'll still get with BFR, right? Because as soon as you start to get to that level of exertion and, and discomfort, you know that you're recruiting those type two fibers, but with BFR, there is the potential to induce type one fiber hypertrophy, which we really don't get a ton of um, when we're just lifting, you know, really, you know, heavy weights, uh, because these fibers are, are more oxidative. These are, are more for, for like aerobic training training. So you, if you're, you're a runner, you tend to have more type one fiber hypertrophy than type two. So being able to maximize that fiber growth is going to help with overall increasing aesthetics and, and as well as, uh, you know, muscle strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the more muscle fibers you have available for you that are that are hypertrophied, the the more you're going to be able to augment your force production, um, and that's and that's important. So, I've done you know people that have come in, we do heavy lifting, and then we finish the tail end session with BFR. So we do two exercises. So for example, we're coming in as leg day. All right, well clearly you know the best benefits for for the individual are going to be are going to be doing heavy squats, are going to be doing hip thrusts, are going to be doing some sort of transverse plane movement and frontal plane movement to maximize the, the gluteal, the upper and lower uh, uh, heads of, of the glute. And then we do leg extensions and hamstring curls and then some sort of hip hinge, right? That would be the, the whole uh, session. Well, mm-hmm. what if I, instead of doing leg extensions that one day heavy, I'll take and we'll do BFR leg extensions, right? Because now we're a not we're, we're giving it a novel stimulus to, to the to the muscles and we're able to, to then again offload the joints so they're not having to crank out on their knee when they're needing to they're, they're needing to that was a, that was a double pun <laughs> when they're when they're looking to maximize their their muscle growth and increase in some strength so it's 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 really just understanding where and that, and again this is why, I, I I'm so proud of the course that I made because I've been teaching this now for, for two years plus, and I've been going in, in Europe and where I'm teaching it five to seven times in a week. So I've had a lot of teaching experience with this and a lot of common barriers for people to understand what, what's going on. And so we've addressed all of this. If you understand how normal resistance training works and you understand the, the, the ingredients that are required in order to maximize your muscle growth, then you can pretty clearly see where blood flow restriction can fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's the exciting part is once you create a narrative that, that, that literally fits together with everything that you understand to be true about muscle building and problems in the rehab setting, it's like, it's a home run. It's yeah. so we're, we're, that's why it's it, it, all these questions and all these topics you're asking are all things that we've thought about tremendously because they're so relevant to be able to say, Hey, listen, you know, anybody could go and they're interested. They can, they can understand about how muscle growing, how muscle growth works. And then they can understand where BFR fits in and then they can actually formulate their own plan. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, that's, that could, that could totally shift a lot of things, man. I like, I like the adding the BFR, you know, that was a good example used with that physique person, right? Like instead of having him just stressing the hell out of his joint, now you're throwing BFR in there and he's, probably getting more sore, right? And like getting more hypertrophy yeah, from, from the same yeah, time. I mean, and, and also like when you're deep in contest prep, right? The, there, there is actually pretty, pretty, there's a couple of research papers that actually show that the vast majority of, of athletes that are deep in contest prep, meaning that they dieted for 12 to 16 weeks at a, at a, at a deficit, um, a caloric deficit. So they're much more prone to injury. And the last thing you want to do as an athlete that you've been dieting for three to four months straight is you want to get injured. Like the last thing you, so, so when you're coming up with strategies that you can give your muscles what they need without having that high joint stress, you're reducing your risk of injury. The same principle can be applied to the everyday Joe, right? Get them comfortable with heavy lifting, get them comfortable with exertion, and then you can kind of find out or figure out where BFR can fit into that equation. Because I do think that as, as, as awesome as BFR is, I think we still have a, a tendency in the rehab setting to be afraid of, of lifting heavy. Um, and, and I can speak personally that I was always afraid of 
when I was, when I would leave, when I'd have a challenging session with my client, I'd be afraid of, oh my God, they're going to text me and they're saying they're in pain or they're sore after. Meanwhile, that's just giving us feedback that maybe the intensity might've been too high for that person at that given time in a point in time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we disregard as a profession, we, we disregard that, that we need to have, it's not a perfect science. Like it's not a perfect, everyone's going to react differently, but we shouldn't be afraid of pushing our clients to that level of exertion where they might get sore, yeah. right? Especially with heavy lifting. Um, and so that's why it's like, it's always like heavy lifting, heavy lifting, heavy lifting. But if you get into a situation where you can't lift heavy, that's where BFR can fit in. Nice. Yeah. And I think that there's also a component of psychological issues with people being sore, thinking that they're hurt when in reality, that's what's helping them, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's one of those things where soreness, soreness gives basically in the way that I view soreness is it just means that you've done too much too soon. Um, that doesn't mean that's bad. It doesn't mean that's good either. Um, it just means that your body for what your capacity is at, at that current point, you've done too much too soon. Um, so that gives me a barometer to say, Hey, listen, if we did three sets of eight at 135, whatever that, whatever that is bench press and you're all, you're crippled from sore. Well, you know what? Maybe we just gotta, we say, all right, well, let's do three sets. Of, we can either do it one or two different ways. We can either do three sets of five at 135. So reduce the total volume, but keep the intensity, uh, keep the intensity the same, or you just do the three sets of eight, but now you're doing it at 125 instead mm -hmm. of 135. So you're changing one variable, but you're able to then quantify it, uh, quantify and qualify it based on the experiences of, you know, of, of the client. So we shouldn't say, Oh, just cause 135 made me sore. Uh, cause we do know that there, you know, at least the most current evidence right now is saying that there, that DOMS delayed onset muscle soreness, while it could be indirectly in some cases related to muscle damage, which is, ultimately, you know, what I use in my course, cause we don't have actual the ability to, uh, to, to prick and, uh, and take creatine kinase levels and, and blood marker levels, which would give us a, a at least a little bit of a better assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, that delayed onset is, is literally just due to like these nerve fibers that get compressed and are not used to getting that kind of feedback. And thus we have this protective response. DOMS in my mind is something that, you know, we need to make sure that we're not in any sort of DOMS when we train again, because we have something called central nervous system fatigue, which just means that our body goes into a protective response. So for example, if we're extremely sore in our quads, um, and we have that feedback that suggests that we have soreness there, we actually won't be able to recruit the muscle to the same degree as if we were exercising without being sore. So that's why it's important to kind of avoid, you know, sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inevitability, right? You're, you're, the, whatever you do, you're going to probably get sore at some point if you're doing something new. Yeah. But, um, but in general, we want to avoid getting, chasing that soreness because that's going to inhibit our ability to recruit and stimulate our muscles in that exercise session. So it's uh it's definitely a multifactorial you know thing that's what i love about bfr is that trying to and i'm by no means a master at bfr at all i mean i i'm just blessed that i get to go out and talk about talk about bfr and and try to shape you know the industry but bfr touches on so many different things like understanding the effects of for example i made this before hypertension right? How am I going to teach a, a group of clinicians or, or fitness professionals how BFR can influence individuals with hypertension if I don't understand that myself, mm -hmm. at least to a degree that, that makes sense from a practical perspective, right? Because um, everything has to be practical. Um, it doesn't matter how cool the science is. If it doesn't relate to some sort of practicality in terms of things that we can modulate in a clinical or, or fitness setting, it doesn't matter. But understanding how that can change and how that can shape the responses has then led me down the path of all these different little nuances associated with physiology. And it's been awesome. I mean, it's yeah. overwhelming. It's definitely overwhelming <laughs> at times, but it's definitely a lot of fun when you sit back here and you're like, oh, now I understand why this condition can affect this condition and that condition has an influence on this. And, you know, you just kind of the, the puzzle, it never fits together. Cause I don't think that in, in my lifetime 
that we're ever going to understand completely what's going on with blood flow restriction uh, in terms of a lot of the different you know variables that we still need to understand and, and uncover. But I do think that the puzzle gets a little bit clearer, right? The, the borders might get a little bit less fuzzy, um, but ultimately it's just trying to be better than you were the day before. So like mm -hmm. if I can, if I, if I'm able to, you know, and I try to do this, but, but I've been so busy is trying to read a research paper a day. I mean, again, it took, takes me 20, depending on, well, depending on the research paper, it could take me anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half uh, to read. So just trying to become better every day. Um, and, and kind of just making sure that, that the message that I'm giving is one that, um, that is, is actually based in the research that, that I'm trying to take my biases out of it as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And just try to, again, just, just, just try to get people excited about this amazing technology. Nice, man. That's real, it's real nice. How, what are your goals for the BFR pros? Like where you, what's your vision? What are your goals for that, for that company? And where are you taking it? So for people, uh, BFR pros actually stands for, it doesn't stand for blood flow restriction pros. It actually stands for the better for results pros. So basically what that means is, is any technology or modality that's, that's currently out there right now, that's better than what we're doing right now, um, is, is fair game for the BFR pros right now. Mm. The main, you know, what we're trying to do is get our flagship blood flow restriction going, um, with that. Um, but ultimately, you know, we've, we've looked into Beamer, uh, I have a Beamer myself, uh, for those that's uh, pulse electromagnetic frequency, it basically helps with increasing circulation. Um, mm. and, and it's, it's a definitely a unique, um, a unique application, um, helps me sleep very good, uh, which is awesome. Um, but that's one also, uh, you know, we're looking to expand to K box. I mentioned that before, or at least in our convo offline, um, K box is ISO inertial resistance. So basically whatever you put in on the, if you're doing a bicep curl, for example, and you're, you're, you're squeezing that muscle, um, whatever you put in to that, you're going to get that plus more on the way down. So you're basically getting what we call an eccentric overload, which just mm. means that, that you're, so you're, you're basically putting say 50 pounds of force, right? Well, you might get 55 pounds of force back. So now you're creating every single muscle contraction is actually superior than the same muscle contraction that you do without it. So we're noticing, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been fortunate. I've been using K box now for months and really with the pandemic going on, I've been really getting involved in, in, in K box and, and kind of understanding some of the science behind that. And it's amazing technology. It's really, really, really amazing. So we're looking at, again, expanding into areas that, you know, are, are, are evidence-based, which is really, mm -hmm. really, really important. Um, that is the line in the sand for, for, for me and the company is that we're not just going to promote anything that, uh, that doesn't really have strong evidence base associated with it. Because again, we're better than that. Like, I don't want, I, people are like, oh, BFR is just a fad, just a fad. I'm like, all right, I challenge you to go and find, uh, you know, find less than 40 to 50 articles that say the same exact thing. And then I want to challenge you to then go and do cupping or, um, K, uh, K tape or what are the other million things that, that we're, we, we use in practice. And I want you to try to come up with 40 consistent articles that say the same exact thing about, about cupping or about, mm -hmm. um, K tape. You won't, you won't be able to find that. It's basically, it's basically taken as fact that if you do the same amount of repetitions with BFR as you do without BFR, the BFR, you're going to have superior increases in muscle mass and strength fact. That's the, and that alone keep makes it a mainstay in rehab. What we're trying to figure out now is, is what are potential long, long-term effects of using BFR, both in the short term, which appears to be pretty safe and well-tolerated, but also continuous use. So with the courses that I, that I promote, uh, that I teach, um, I'm taking a more conservative route because I don't want to be over aggressive. In, in it because even just using it in, in the way that I talked about is going to significantly alter the way that rehab is, is done. Mm -hmm. But I, I advise for, for cardio, <clears throat> you know, keeping it at, you know, cause it's less stressful on the whole body, you know, 12 weeks continuous. If you can do 12 weeks continuous with cardio, you're, you're pretty good with resistance training. It might be eight to 10 because it's a little bit more stressful, a lot more vascular, um, 
a lot more vasculature stress. So just being more safe than sorry. And ultimately, again, if you're, if you're a normal human being, meaning a normal, healthy human being with no comorbidities, nothing, you shouldn't be doing BFR for that long anyways. Like you should be doing it in, in a block of, you know, four to eight weeks and then taking a little bit of time off for it. Or you should be using it as a small, um, uh, like, um, uh, complement to your heavy load training, mm -hmm. right? Like th this is not something that you're going to immediately go and, and completely change your whole way of thinking and doing because this, uh, this technology is here. So it's, it's just, again, trying to get the message out and be, and, and facilitate safety as this continues to grow. Nice. Yeah. And I, I really like what the BFR stands for. It's really cool. So for people listening, how can they find out more about you, about your course? Where can they search it up? So if anybody is interested in learning more about blood flow restriction, uh, well, they can go to my Instagram. It's literally, I would say the most comprehensive blood flow restriction, uh, training resource, free resource on the planet. Uh, for that I've talked about, I have over 350 posts on blood flow restriction. So anything that you would think of that would potentially uh, be topic for chatter, I've talked about. Um, so that that's there. I would also follow the BFR pros. Uh, on Instagram as well, because we're going to be launching, we're going to be launching the BFR course uh, within, you know, hopefully very shortly. So you'll be able to find out information on that. Uh, and that course will be located on www.bfrtraining.com. So you're going to get BFR training on BFR training, which nice. I'm so happy I have that Earl. You have no idea. <laughs> nice, man. Well, Nick, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to do this. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, man. Good luck with everything. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Yep. Thank you for joining us today and listening to the iHealth Podcast. Visit us at ironhealth.co for resources and more information about us. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, both at ironhealth.co. Stay healthy and keep moving.